Good morning. It's it's good to have everyone with us this morning. It's a a little it's a, a very brisk winter morning, but uh, it's nice and warm in here, and the fellowship is is great. And uh, so I uh, just want to welcome everyone here this morning. Want to uh, give a special welcome to uh, Leah Carl and uh, her family uh, from the uh, Zoe Women's Center. And I'm not sure if I got that right. Is it Zoe? Okay, it's from the uh, Zoe Women's Center. And uh, she'll be in a few minutes. She'll be uh, uh, doing a, a presentation on their their ministry. Uh, we have uh, a couple of announcements to make. Uh, our business meeting um, will be this Thursday, and uh, it says in the uh, bulletin at 6 o'clock, but it will actually be at 7 o'clock, so I uh, hope everybody is listening so nobody ends up being here an hour early. Uh, and uh, so we have a number of things that need to be discussed, so uh, uh, if you're a member, please make every attempt uh, to be here at the business meeting this coming Thursday, 7 o'clock. And the reports are on the back table. If you uh, can grab those and take a look at them before the meeting, that would be good. Uh, we were able to uh, go and pick out the uh, flooring for the addition. And uh, so we have a number of different options uh, out back. And so we'd just like for everybody to uh, uh, take a minute to uh, look at them and see what you like and what you don't like. And uh, we'll be meeting again uh, in a couple of weeks or so uh, to vote on what we would like to do for flooring, et cetera. And, uh, and so we have some, uh, there's some carpet out there and some vinyl flooring, and we're going to you know, decide what we want where. Uh, and uh, so anyways, if you could take a look at that, just get an idea of what, uh, what some of the colors are and what we're planning on doing. And uh, let's see, and also the uh, glass for the doors that are going to be in the, that are in the uh, Sunday school classrooms upstairs is in. So they'll be uh, uh, fixing, putting the glass in those doors uh, starting this week. And so we'll get everything. We're continuing to be in the process of getting things wrapped up. So uh, any other announcements this morning? Ian had one announcement. Yeah. Good morning. Just wanted to mention, um, I've been spreading rumors about small groups starting, um, and now we have a, a date set for the, the first, um, first meeting for our gentle, gentle and Lowly study. So the books are in, and we have a date. So uh, uh, February uh, 5th is a Friday, and that'll be our first meeting. We're meeting at, at the Miller's house uh, right here in town. And so, uh, if you're interested in that, what's that? What? I don't know if we set a time. Six? six? All right. We'll, we'll, we'll plan on meeting at six at the Millers uh, on the 5th. And so, if you're interested in the study, um, again, we've talked about the book. It's, um, it's great. It's just chapter after chapter of meditations on the heart of Jesus. Um, and I think it's, it's perfect for our season as a church. And so if you're interested in the study, uh, books are in. They're, they're a little more expensive because it's only a couple years old. So it's $18. Uh, you can give that to Allison. Um, if you want a book but you don't want to be in the study, that's cool too. Um, so I, I ordered enough that there should be enough for anyone who, who wants one. Um, and so the, the books are up here. And 
uh, and you know where Allison is. So did I, did I miss anything there? Okay, great. just thinking of that ad, the wax on, wax off. It's like mask on, mask off. <laughs> mask on, mask off. <laughs> just came to my mind. All right. Uh, it's so good to be here this morning. Um, and now we will have uh, 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 Leah will come up and, uh, and present her ministry. Leah, thank you for being here this morning. be glad when we can end on the mask off. <laughs> I knew I was coming up after announcements, but I didn't realize that announcements was happening right then and there. <laughs> so. I have a teenage daughter that's six months pregnant. As of today, she wants to get an abortion. And I was wondering what the procedure is to have it done. Is she too far along and has to go to another state? Please, my daughter needs your help. She's not ready for this and told me the same thing. Please help, please. This was an email that we received around the time of our relocation from Rockland to Rockport. We were CareNet and we transitioned to a new place and to become Zoea Women's Center. When I received that email, we weren't fully open yet from the transition, and so I responded with who we are, the answers that we were able to give to her, and what we could offer her for help and hope for her and her daughter. And we never heard back. In 1992, there were three women in response to young teenage pregnancies in the area that had a heart to be a beacon of light in the darkness. This was their words. A safe place where women could come to find the truth about the child that they're carrying and to change the lives and future of women along with saving babies. And in 1992, a Brie, which became known as Karenat, was birthed. And it's now known as Zoe, a women's center. And one of our founders, who still works with us as a volunteer, um, she pointed out to me that we literally went from A to Z. <laughs> and everything in between. So nearly 30 years later, as I was doing the math the other day, I was like, wow, that's a long time. Nearly 30 years later, Zoe, a women's center, we still seek to show women and men the path of life in all areas that begin in God's own heart and to effect change in their lives and in their future. Like the young girl and her mother from the email I read. Too often, we do get things like that, but there's no follow-up. We try, we can only go so far in reaching and reaching and reaching out. But that is our heart, to reach them. Zoe, in ancient Greek, actually means life, and that is what we are always about, have always been about, and will continue to be about. This Zoea Women's Center is not a, oh, you're so broken and we're just going to fix you, pity ministry. This is actually a place that empowers and values and offers hope, practical help to all women 
and men in a compassionate environment. We come alongside those who are searching, not only in their decision time, in their crisis time, but also for support in their parenting, emotional support, spiritual support, abortion and loss recovery, and meeting material needs as best as we can, references to various things that they may need for jobs, for housing, trying to break down the obstacles and hindrances that they feel are there that they have no other choice but to abort. We meet them where they are, all of them, and we create a space for growth, for life, and for healing. So when we transitioned from Carinet into Zoya Women's Center, uh, many were wanting to know, you know, are you still a Carinet affiliate with the National Carinet? And yes, we are. We are still a 501c3 donor-supported, fully donor-supported um, organization. And you as a church, I know that you have generously supported for many years. I think I was here last year, um, and so I know what you all do and the heart that you have for the, the ministry of life. And you as individuals help us to accomplish the biblically-based truth that our lives have value because we are created in his image. Our lives have purpose. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans and purposes and thoughts I have for you. And our value and our purpose does not change with the circumstances that we face. Abortion is um, not a black and white issue. It is black and white in the sense that there, there is a right and a wrong, but there's so many gray areas as to why they come to that conclusion. The stories of these women, there's so many pieces that they've lost their value or their sense of purpose, there's fear involved, there's anxiety involved, there's many things involved. And we want to share the message with them that there is a God who gives hope, who gives life, who values them, who has spoken into them and has a purpose for them and their child and their families. Um, I'm reminded of Genesis 21. Um, last year, this in, in January, this chapter came to my mind as I was reading through Genesis, actually. And it just, I kept reading and reading and reading, actually throughout the whole year, Genesis 21, where um, Ishmael was, uh, Hagar and Ishmael were um, sent out into the wilderness by Abraham. You see, God had told Abraham and Sarah I have a plan for you and a promise for you. And they decided to get ahead of God or didn't think he was working the way that he wanted them to, uh, they wanted him to. And so they had, Hagar and Abraham had Ishmael. So he sent them away and they got into the wilderness and they ran out of water, ran out of food, and got lost. And so when, starting in about verse 14 on down, it talks about how that Hagar realized her son, which was a little bit older by now, was going to die. So she put him in a bush over here, and she laid him there and went far away from him, enough away, to, it says, to get out of range that she didn't have to hear his cries as he was dying. So she's over here crying, he's over here crying, and it says in the next verse that God heard the cries of the child, and he came to the mother, and he said to the mother, what's going on? And so she told him what was happening, the situation. I don't have any other choice 
but to let him die. And God said to her, I, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up, and I want you to go to your son, and I want you to put your hand under his head and lift his head up, and I want you to speak to him because I, God, intend to make him a great nation. Now, supposedly Ishmael wasn't in this plan. He wasn't uh, supposed to be part of the plan. But regardless, planned or unplanned, God had a purpose for him. And he said, I intend to make him a great nation. And so when he told her that, he also opened her eyes, it said, to the well of water that was right beside her. To me, I, I just have been so intrigued by that, that this well was there the whole time. But she was blinded by the fear, the death, the only choice that I have, blinded by all of that. But when she heard God speak, God heard the cry of the child and spoke to the mother and opened her eyes to life and to hope. There is always hope. No matter if it's that situation, your situation, my situation, it doesn't matter what it is, there's always hope because God is always hope. Psalm 71 says, he's my hope. I don't just put my hope in him, he is my hope. And so that's what we want to do. We want to speak purpose and hope to these women and their value and their purpose. And here's what we offer. I have a slide of, oh, good, you got it up. <laughs> uh, parenting and prenatal classes, life skills classes, adoption referrals, abortion recovery, pregnancy options education, maternal and infant and child supplies. And what we used to call the blessing shed is now called the Zoe Giving Tree. That is where uh, we have the material needs, gently used brand new items for moms and, and children. Um, it's now called the Zoe Giving Tree, and the concept of the tree is that the roots represent our donors, our base, um, what helps the tree to stay in place. The trunk represents the center, the staff, the volunteers, the board, uh, where the nutrients and nourishment necessary to live come through and are dispersed to the branches. And the branches represent what we give to our clients. What comes from the donors up through the trunk shows up as fruit on those branches. And this tree, in turn, provides shelter, nourishment, etc., for our clients. And Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Another translation reads, the seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. And that's what we want that, that understanding to be when women walk into our Zoe Giving Tree area. Here are the services that we will be adding eventually ultrasound services, our doctor is in the process of confirming with us, and uh, finding a pro-life doctor um, nowadays is not an easy thing to do. But God has supplied us with the doctor who also serves two other centers in the area, and we are in the process of confirming with him. We also have a temporary ultrasound technician, but we are looking for a more permanent person uh, to be more local. Um, this person, the temporary, will come a couple times a week um, as needed. We have two nurse managers that will come on staff. The ultrasound machine is supposedly coming the end of February. Uh, we had a setback. It was supposed to be here in January, but um, supposedly the end of February we will get the ultrasound machine and begin to start those services. We are also hoping to add miscarriage support courses. 
basic fertility awareness classes, which we actually are going to offer in March, one in March and one in April, uh, just basic uh, for women to really know their bodies, how they're created, and that is for the general public. It doesn't have to be a client. Anyone is welcome to sign up and attend that class. Um, we even hope to start classes for young girls, um, as young as uh, 12 to 14, 11 to 14, um, as we found out in much of our research and changing from Karen at DeZoe that um, there are those who don't believe in life that target girls as young as six. And there are cartoon videos and things that we happen to see and find in our research that teach them, first of all, that pregnancy center clinics are not a place to go and that abortion is not as bad as it, it seems. Um, so we want to begin to reach young girls, too, and with classes about who they are, their value, their purpose, before they come to these places where they need to make these decisions. And eventually, and bring their moms in. Share at youth groups. Share at schools. And what can you do? Um, you can, I know we have the slide there, but the first and foremost greatest thing that you can do um, Matthew 22:37 is the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And the second commandment is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know when we do that, when we fully love him and fully love others, we know that God has appointed us, Acts 17, 26, that God has appointed us to be born in the time that we're born in and to live in the places that we live in. He says in John 15, 16, I want you to, uh, I've chosen you. You haven't chosen me. I have appointed you. So you as a church, you as individuals, God has chosen you, appointed you to bear fruit, to keep bearing fruit, to let that fruit be lasting, to know that God has appointed you. And it might be like, oh, Lord, why did you have me live in this season that we're in now? Because he knows what's in you. He knows that he is inside of you. The Holy Spirit inside of you has a message to give, has a life to live, a love to show, a truth to speak to those around you. It doesn't matter your age, your circumstance. You have value. You have purpose. So what can you do? You can begin to live knowing that you have been appointed by God to be here for this time in this place. And... You know, yesterday my husband and I were talking about some things and he gave the verse, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Um, because, so we might want to look at it as, oh my gosh, I just, I don't want to be here in this season. It, it can be so scary, so whatever that we're facing and with the issue of life and, and wow, what a battle we're going to be facing. But we need to understand and have his perception that he saw us and knows that he wanted all of us here at this point in history because he's chosen us to share his love. So you can pray. While your prayers cannot make other people's choices for them, your intercession can help bring good choices into focus. God's plans are good, his presence is transforming, and your prayers invite both of them. You can volunteer. We are looking for a Zoe Giving Tree Manager. That's one area, and I do have things over here on the table that have other areas of volunteering. You can volunteer in many ways. You can refer us to others. You can donate. And we have a website that all the specifics on how to do this, how to sign up for this, you can give online. They're on that website. You can give online or by mail, or you can, and we have another slide for that. You can drop off um, at the center. You can give one-time or recurring donations. I have pledge books over there if you wanted to do a monthly pledge. Um, 
uh, Philippians 4.17 says, uh, not that I seek or am eager for your gift, but I do seek and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit, the harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. So giving to Zoe a woman's center provides you the opportunity to effect the change, like the woman and the daughter. And it may seem like, because what we do is we don't also just respond to that email, we pray for that person. We pray for that situation. This giving to us provides you the opportunity to affect change because it is because of you that this change really does come about with your giving and giving us the opportunity to share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. It allows us to be there for women, men, families today and empower them for tomorrow. So I want to thank you for what you have done. And I'd like to end in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time that you have given to us. Thank you for this time in history that you have appointed this church, these people. There's been a lot of things they've faced this last year. Loss, but out of loss, hope is birthed. And I just thank you for newness of life, newness of hope, a renewal, a restrengthening within this body in particular, that they understand that in the midst of every situation that you are God and you are good and you have given them a message of truth to share with the world around them. I thank you for the, what the way they've given towards life, for life to be, to be shown, for life to be offered to many men and women in our community. And I thank you, God, that you are our hope. We will always remember there is hope because of you. We thank you, God, for opening the eyes, uh, hearing the cries of children born and unborn, and opening the eyes of the mother to see the life and the hope that is right beside them, being offered to them because of churches, individuals that love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate you folks being here. Our scripture reading this morning, if you'd like to uh, open your Bibles, our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 62. Um, but before we, before, we, uh, before we get there, well, I, I would like to pray as well. Lord, we uh, again thank you for this time that we can be here this morning. We thank you for the uh, ministries of life all around, and we thank you in particular for Zoe uh, Women's Center and for those that are volunteering and those that are work so tirelessly uh, toward that end. And we live right now in a country that is divided with many opinions on so many different issues and... and uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, turmoil and conflict. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be light to those around us, that we would, uh, that we would not be, um, that we would try to, uh, as, as your word says, to live at peace with all men and women, and irregardless of how somebody else may feel, and they may feel differently than we do about things. You've told us that we should love 
from one another and even those that don't agree with us at times. So I thank you for uh, the, the Life Ministries and, and Zoe uh, Women's Center in particular. And we just thank you for uh, that we can uh, be here this morning and we thank you that we live in a country where we are free to, uh, to uh, share opinions and ideas and thoughts that maybe uh, everybody doesn't agree with. And so I pray that you would watch over our service this morning. We thank you for your word and that it is powerful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I was just thinking a few minutes ago as uh, Leah was speaking that we read, I believe it was Psalm 138 or 39, I can't remember which one it was, uh, just a couple of weeks ago in church and how it told about God knowing us before we were born when we were in our mother's womb and he knew everything about us at that point in time and how appropriate that is. Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> if you'd turn with me now to number thir uh, hymn number 33, we'll stand and sing all verses of immortal, invisible, God only wise. We don't sing this very often, so I hope we can do it justice. <laughs> number 33. Sure, yeah, a notch, I guess. <laughs> 
Majestic like mountains high soaring above thy clouds which are fountain of goodness and love to all life thou givest to both great and small in all life thou givest the true life of all thy wisdom so boundless thy mercy so free eternal thy goodness for not changeth thee great father of glory pure father of light thine angels adore thee all veiling their sight all praise we would render oh help us to see tis only the splendor of life hideth thee amen and if you turn to number 543 543 this is an old southern gospel song one of my favorites till the storm passes by
seated. You may be seated. Excellent singing. And uh, <clears throat> will the men now come forward for the morning offering? And if you have uh, any uh, prayer requests, if you'd like to just slip them into the offering plate, that would be great. Amen. And if you would uh, remain standing, and uh, we will sing from your, uh, from our small uh, songbooks, uh, number four. And if you don't have one, I think we have them available. Number four should be all glory be to Christ.
sing all glory be to Christ. Amen. May be seated. When on that day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. What a promise. To take some time to go before the Lord now in prayer. I've got uh, one prayer card that came in the uh, the offering. Any any prayer requests? I want to be remembering this morning. Yeah, Maureen. The Loring, the Loring Peavy family. Okay. Pray for the Peavy family. Any other requests? Thanksgivings, praises, Donna. Always pray for Amen. Always. Yeah, we'll pray for revival. Yeah, yeah. How's Herm doing? Okay, good. Herm's napping. Any other requests? Thanksgivings, praises. Millie. Great. Yep. Awesome. Great. We've been praying for her. Uh, Bill's daughter Kelly is past the virus and didn't contract it to anyone, so that's that's good news. Praise God for that. Donna. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God for the trustee board. Glad for all the work they do. Amen. Yeah. Christina. Just a prayer that you keep the little 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's like a winter camp type thing. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful ministry there. I grew up a mile down the road. Yeah, yeah, good. Allison. Okay. Pray and prayer for that. Okay. <laughs> secret sisters have been secretly blessing each other for months, and soon you will know who it was. Okay. Dean. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Church right down there on Route 3, Crossroads to Calvary. All right, we'll pray for them because they've got the virus. All right. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our hearts exult in you, O Lord. Our mouths deride our enemies because we rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you, Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like you, our God. You're a God of knowledge, and by you actions are weighed. You take and you bring to life. You bring down the Sheol and you raise up. You make poor and you make rich. You bring low and you exalt. You who raise up the poor from the dust. You lift the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are yours, O God, and on them you have set the world. You will guard the feet of your faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might will we prevail. Your adversaries shall be broken to pieces. Against them you will thunder in heaven. You, the Lord, will judge the ends of the earth. You will give strength to Christ your King and exalt the horn of your Messiah forever. Father, we come to you this morning and we praise you for your might. And as we read in the psalm earlier, we praise you because you're strong and we praise you because you're loving. We praise you because of your power and we praise you because of how you use your power and the great mercy that you've shown towards us. We, we confess, Lord, that as we come to you this morning, we come as sinners confess that in our hearts and our minds and our actions this week we've sinned and done wrong consciously and unconsciously we've acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules not listening to your word we confess our sins now silently as we come into your presence We ask that you'd forgive us, Lord. We don't ask that as a Hail Mary, vainly or hopelessly. We ask that confidently in Jesus' name, knowing that he gave his life as a ransom for many. We who have faith in him come to your throne boldly, knowing that in his death and in his resurrection, he bought for us perfect forgiveness and eternal peace with you, our holy God. As we come to you this morning, Father, we, we ask for revival, revival in our own 
spiritual lives in our own congregation, in our town, Lord, and in our state. We, we come and we know that we were made for you. We were made to know you and to be known by you, to love you and to be loved by you, to obey you and to walk with you in all our ways. And we confess, Lord, we've often walked apart from you for too long, but we're done with that. We're done with this world's tired attempts to make it through without you. And as a congregation, Lord, we come to you this morning and we say we're all in. We want to start really living. Revive our hearts. Teach us to get serious about our walk with you, about our sin. Reveal to us those areas of our lives where we're toying with worldliness or ungodliness. And reveal to us, too, in our greatest joys and in our deepest sorrows, how totally present you are in your sovereign love each and every day. Bring our hearts to life in you. Teach us, Father, to recognize where you're at work around us. We know you are at work around us in the events of our time and in the seasons of our lives, and, and we don't want to miss out. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We ask that you'd bring revival to Maine in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our children Blow on the coals of the church in Maine and bring us to life. Send your spirit, Lord, and blow on this state. We want to lift up our congregation, but also other gospel-preaching churches in our area. We ask that you'd bless the churches around us with life and growth and a powerful witness in their communities. Specifically, Lord, we think of those right around us, Appleton Baptist, Palermo Christian, Veracity Chapel, Christ the King Church. We lift up those and many others, Lord, many other gospel-preaching churches in our area. We ask that you'd stir in the hearts of those around us in our communities who are searching for you. Pray that you'd send us out as laborers into the harvest. Pray that you'd train us up, teach us to communicate the gospel faithfully and to live lives which speak to your holy character and your endless love. We also ask, Lord, that you'd move powerfully through the, the faithful work of the parachurch ministries in our area and our state. Pray that you continue to bless the, the people of Zoe Women's Center. You continue to use them to minister to hurting women, to advocate for the unborn. Pray that you'd continue to do a powerful work through them, Lord, that they'd, they'd be constantly having to turn to you in praise to say, Lord, this could only have happened if, because you were in it. Lord, we think of other ministries locally we support. We think of Fairhaven camps. Pray that you'd use them to minister the truth of the gospel to young people in central Maine. We, we think, too, Lord, of Camp Good News, where... Uh, where Lyric and Maddie are, are headed this week, and we pray that you continue to bless their ministry. We thank you for, um, thank you for what a work you've done there. We thank Lord of, um, of uh, Grace Seminary and of New England Bible College too. Um, ministries which over the years in various forms have been a huge benefit to our church, and we pray that you continue to use uh, those institutions to raise up men in Maine, to shepherd and to preach who have your word on their lips and fire in their hearts. Lord, we come with uh, petitions and thanksgivings for our own congregation as well. We, Lord, we think of the PV family. Pray that you'd be with them. 
Your presence would be palpably known. Lord, we thank you for Herm. And uh, Lord, we, we thank you especially for the, the trustees meeting that was able to happen yesterday and for the fellowship that happened there. And thank you for those faithful men and all that they do to serve your people here. And pray that you continue to encourage and uplift Herm. Pray that uh, you'd be pricking our hearts to go down and visit him. Uh, and that, uh, that he'd be continually encouraged by this body that he's so vitally a part of. Pray for Donna as well. Pray that you continue to encourage her and lift her up as she walks with Herm through this, this uh, difficult time. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, for Bill's daughter, Kelly, that she's, she's, uh, she's out of the woods with COVID and that, that we didn't spread anywhere. We, 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 we know, Lord, that's answered prayer. We thank you. Lord, we pray for the Secret Sister Party coming up. We thank you for the ladies of this church. And uh, just pray that you continue to bless and work through that ministry. Uh, and what a powerful thing you do when, when, when brothers and sisters gather together in your name. And we pray that you'd continue to use the, the fellowship of this little church on a hill um, to be growing and building, Lord, both the people in this church and also ministering to, uh, to men and women around us. And we lift up uh, Crossroads to Calvary and their ministry, and we pray that uh, this, uh, these cases of the virus that are in their church would pass soon and that they'd be able to, um, to resume the normal rhythms of ministry soon. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. We pray that you'd be at work among us and that uh, your word would show fruit in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've lost my vision once in my life. It's a very strange experience. Um, it maybe may have told one or two of you about it. I've, it was during a migraine headache, which I've only had one of in my life, thank, thankfully. I know many of you have experienced those more often than I. But I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was reading, and what's called an aura begins in the middle of your vision and begins to kind of spread out. And I was reading, and I, I, I realized I couldn't actually make out any of the words. It's like this, this kind of point of light spreading um, and, uh, and eventually the headache hit. I was like, oh, I just was in bed the whole afternoon. But I've been blessed with sight throughout my life, and so many of us have been. The sermon this morning is entitled, Seeing Clearly. And our passage this morning is about blindness and the restoration of sight, both physical sight and spiritual sight. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning, if you want to go there with me. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 33. So we're going to read the passage together, and then we'll pray. As usual, I'll be reading here out of the NIV and preaching out of the ESV, just to keep you guys confused. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village 
When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we go to your word, that you would open our eyes to see you clearly. We pray that with a special fervency this morning with this text. Open our eyes that we would see Jesus for who he is. I ask that you'd grant me accuracy as I speak, as I speak and a, a, a feeling sense of the things that I say. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So you'll remember uh, that last week, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, and they'd forgotten to pack lunch. We pick up the account when they finally reached the shore, verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida. And if you're keeping track uh, on the map in the back of your Bible, Bethsaida is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, right where the Jordan River enters in to feed the sea. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, this is a, is a familiar story by now, right? Jesus enters a village, the people flock to him, and then he's, he's inundated by requests to heal the sick, to free the demon-possessed. And, and Jesus, as was his pattern in every place, responded with compassion to those who came to him in need, right? We've said this this has been one of my points, I think, three or four weeks in a row, because it's what the text keeps pointing to. Jesus has compassion on needy people. Amen. Gospel writers record this kind of occasion over and over. First, because Jesus had compassion on people over and over. And secondly, because we need to be reminded that Jesus has compassion on needy people over and over. The compassion of Jesus isn't a footnote in the Gospels. It's the main headline. Jesus loves to help needy people. That's good news for us. 
And there's good news for the blind man. Verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now this man had probably been led by the hand everywhere in his entire life. Apart from those parts of the world that he'd, he'd memorized by touch and other senses. His hand was used to holding the hand of the ones who led him. And now his hand was in the hand of the one who could heal him. Verse 23 again. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. He opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And they sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. It's amazing. And this is yet another fulfillment of a passage we keep going back to. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. After this passage, we've checked off every box on that list. Jesus made a lame man walk in Mark 2. He made a deaf and mute man speak and hear in Mark 7. And now we see that he made a blind man see in Mark chapter 8. Isaiah said that when Messiah came, he would heal the blind, deaf, lame, and mute. And Jesus did it all. We'll get to Peter's profession that Jesus is the Christ later in the passage, but already the evidence is here for those with eyes to see. Our big idea this morning is, is so obvious from this account that it's barely worth saying. Jesus opens blind eyes. Jesus opens blind eyes. And we, we see here in the first instance that Jesus opened the physical eyes of the physically blind Right? Jesus healed the, the physical organs of this man that enabled him to see the physical world. If you've been here the last few weeks, you probably know where this is going. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about deafness, right? That Jesus came to heal both physical deafness and a kind of spiritual deafness to God. Right? A, mu a refusal to hear the music of our Creator. I think the same kind of analogy is at work in Jesus' ministry here in this passage. Right on the heels of this amazing restoration of physical sight, Jesus is going to go on to grant spiritual sight to his previously blind disciples. Jesus opened the physical eyes of the physically blind, and Jesus opened the spiritual eyes of the spiritually blind. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 27 and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is about a, a day's walk north of Bethsaida, where the blind man was healed. And on, on the way, on the walk, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Verse 28, they, they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. All of, of Galilee and the surrounding areas were, were in an uproar as to the identity of Jesus, right? Who, who is he? 
Who's this guy who's doing all these amazing miracles? And according to the disciples, no clear consensus had emerged. Right? Some people said John the Baptist, reincarnate. Some people said Elijah. Some people said he's another one of the prophets. Uh, in Matthew's account of this passage, uh, the disciples add Jeremiah. Some people think maybe it's Jeremiah the prophet, come back from the dead. There was no consensus, but there was one consensus. There was something special about him. Um, this list of three options should sound familiar to you. Uh, these same three theories about the identity of Jesus were being tossed around back in Mark chapter 6. Um, if you remember, Herod thought that, that Jesus might be John the Baptist back from the dead, and he was terrified because, of course, Herod is the one who had John the Baptist killed. And some said he was Elijah, which is a fair guess in some ways. Elijah and Elisha were known for their great miracles, and, and Jesus performed some miracles that were sort of, sort of a greater fulfillment of some of Elijah and Elisha's miracles. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000 being one of those. Or perhaps Jesus was just one of the other prophets. Everyone had their theory, but it's, it's interesting to me that it didn't occur to anyone to ask if Jesus was a nobody. Who do they say I am? Well, John the Baptist, back from the dead, Elijah, or one of the prophets. Th those are pretty significant guesses. Everyone who heard about him guessed that this man was something special. Even his worst enemies couldn't ignore him. We've seen that with the Pharisees, right? They knew the power of his words and his deeds, and they were afraid enough of him to put real effort into trying to get him out of the way, eventually killing him. Anyone who met Jesus was forced to see that there was something special about Jesus. This was no ordinary man. But of course, Jesus wasn't content with the speculations of the crowds. Ultimately, he didn't want to know what the disciples had heard about him. He wanted to know what they believed about him. Verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Before we look at Peter's answer, I want to wrestle with your answer. We, too, are forced to reckon with Jesus. Who is he? Let me ask you the same question Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say Jesus is? If you were really pressed for an answer, what would you say you believe about him most deeply? It may be that you're here and you're, you're still not sure what to make of Jesus. You may be here as a non-Christian, kind of like listening in. You may be a little hesitant with all that Christians say about who Jesus is. In answer to the question, who is he? You're looking for the box, undecided. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe your answer is, I'm not sure. I want to encourage you. It's a huge question. It's a huge question, and it's important that you wrestle with it personally. This room is full of people who, who believe and who want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, as Peter is about to profess. And by all means, if you're persuaded, join the company. You're welcome here. 
But if you're, if you're wrestling with Jesus and you're still not sure, I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep wrestling. Naysayers on one side will give you a real easy line and tell you that the whole Jesus thing is silly and tell you to write him off. Naysayers on the other side will give you a real easy line and tell you, just, just believe. It's, it's easy. Just do it. I'd love you to believe. But for, for some, before you can believe, you have to wrestle. The disciples did. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Open up the pages of your Bible and deal with Jesus personally. Read his words. Read about his actions. The New Testament is the single most well-attested document in all of ancient history. Written only a handful of years after the fact by, by eyewitnesses to the event who really knew Jesus. Even if you don't believe in the supernatural power of the Bible. This is a document you can trust. Start with the Gospels. We're looking at Mark. Jump in anywhere you want. Open up your Bible and pray. Seek him. If Jesus is who we say he is, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus was crucified, and then three days later he rose from the, from the dead. He appeared to many eyewitnesses, and now he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven where he sits today. And as Christians, we believe that from there he actually prays for, intercedes for his people. Jesus isn't some crusty, dried-up historical figure. Jesus is alive today, and you can talk to him. So do it. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Open up his word. Wrestle with Jesus. Wrestle with his question. Who do you say that I am? I can only speak from my experience in saying it's worth it. It's worth the wrestling. If you ever want to guide through scripture, I or almost anyone here would, be, would love to walk through one of the gospels with, with anyone who's wrestling with Jesus. I would, you, you come to me after church, I will clear my schedule. If you want help wrestling with Jesus, talk to me. I'll find you someone in this room who can walk through a gospel with you. Jesus is so awesome. And, and he's so faithful in showing up when we come seeking him. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now for Peter's answer. Verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? You may remember that last week the, the disciples were whining about who forgot to pack lunch in the boat. And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of spiritual sight. Right? Having eyes, do you not see? The disciples had physical sight, but they were missing something huge. As we said last week, they didn't really realize who Jesus was. They were complaining about bread with the guy who'd literally just done multiplication problems on bread. It's like... <sighs> they should have known he could do it again. But they were spiritually blind to Jesus. He was right there in front of him, but they couldn't really see who he was. Out in the boat, the disciples were blind to Jesus, but the apostle Peter was about to have a moment of clarity. Verse 29, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Right answer. That's spiritual sight. Peter finally got it. Jesus is the Christ. 
This is only the second instance of the word Christ in the whole Gospel of Mark. First instance is all the way back in Mark 1, verse 1. The summary statement of the whole book, right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole point of this good news, this gospel, is about showing the world that Jesus is the Christ. And now for the first time, someone who met Jesus was willing to admit it out loud. You are the Christ. What does that mean? The Christ it's important to know. We've talked about it before. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, uh, which means anointed one, chosen one of God. The prophets, priests, and kings were anointed in the Old Testament as a sign that they've been chosen by God. And we spent the, the season of Advent tracing the promises in the Old Testament of a, a chosen one to come, an anointed one to come would one day save God's people and save the whole world. And, and the gospel of Mark is all about seeing Messiah came. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the promised one of God. And here out of Peter's lips, eight chapters in, is the first verbal profession of Jesus's Messiahship in Mark's gospel. Peter's eyes had been opened to see who Jesus really was. In that sense, I guess, I guess, um, Peter was the first Christian, right? First Christ, Christian. He was the first man to publicly confess, Jesus, you're, you're the Christ. His spiritual eyes were finally opened. Jesus opened the spiritually, spiritual eyes of the spiritually blind. Now, maybe that you want to push back on that last statement. Yes, yes, Ian, I, I see where you're coming from. It's a, it's a nice analogy, comparing the, the physical blindness of the blind man to the spiritual blindness of Peter. But where in this account are we told that Jesus opened Peter's eyes? Ian, Jesus never touched Peter's eyes. Couldn't, couldn't Peter have just finally put the pieces together? Maybe he'd been mulling it over and it finally just clicked in his brain. Why are you so quick to attribute Peter's sight to God's power? I'm sure Peter had been mulling it over, and he certainly had finally made a decision. We actually know for certain that Peter's profession of faith was just as much a miracle from Jesus as the opening of the blind man's eyes. And here's how we know. The Apostle Matthew also recorded this event in his gospel, and he included more of what Jesus said on this occasion. If you want to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're not going to spend much time there, but we will look at a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 15. This is going to sound familiar. Matthew 16, verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the same answer we heard in Mark with an added title of Jesus, right? Son of the living God. Not only did Peter see that Jesus was the Christ, he saw that he was the divine Son of God. And then Matthew records Jesus' answer to Peter. Verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood 
has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter did not come to his conclusion on the basis of human reasoning or of human testimony. According to Jesus himself, the first recognition of Jesus as the Christ was a miracle from heaven. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. What Peter experienced was not a human discovery, it was a divine epiphany. His spiritual blindness had been lifted, and he could finally see Jesus for who he was. But much, much like the blind man whose sight was restored in two stages, Peter's vision was only partially clear. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but he didn't yet know what kind of Messiah Jesus had to be. Remember the blind man, right? Jesus laid his hands on him once, and he could see fuzzily, people that looked like trees. And then he had to lay his hands on him a second time, and then the blind man could see clearly. It's the same here with Peter. There's two levels of spiritual blindness that Jesus was going to have to deal with. First, Peter was blind to Jesus' identity, and he was also blind to Jesus' mission. Jesus' identity is the Christ. We've just resolved that, right? Peter's eyes are opened. He gets it. But as we're going to see, Peter was actually blind to the mission of the Christ. He didn't yet understand what kind of Savior Jesus had to be. So let's keep reading in Mark chapter 8, and I'll show you what I mean. Verse 29. And he asked them, but, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. You have to understand what, what a shock this kind of news would have been to Peter and the other disciples. They'd just come to see that Jesus was the Messiah. But here's the problem. In, in their minds, Messiah wasn't supposed to die immediately after he showed up. He wasn't supposed to die. Messiah was supposed to show up and, and kick butt. I want to read you a passage. It's not uh, from Scripture, but it's something that was written between the closing of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ. And it, it describes the kind of popular conception of what kind of Christ the Jews were expecting. This is what Peter was looking for. See, O Lord, and raise up their king for them, a son of David, and undergird him with strength to shatter unrighteous rulers. Cleanse Jerusalem from the nations that trample it in destruction to expel sinners from the inheritance in wisdom, in righteousness, to rub out the arrogance of the sinner like a potter's vessel, to crush all their support with an iron rod, to destroy lawless nations by the word of his mouth, for Gentiles to flee from his face at his threat. Are the verbs in there? Shatter, cleanse, expel, rub out, crush, destroy. The Jewish people expected Messiah this chosen one of God, to be a great king who would show up and kick the Romans out of the promised land. 
and restore the physical nation of Israel to its former glory. Messiah was supposed to be this powerful war-fighting king who's going to put the the nations in a chokehold and lead his people into everlasting victory. Or so the Jews thought. And Peter had come, just come to the conclusion, right? He, He just realized, wait a second. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, this guy in my boat's come to kick the Romans' butt. This is awesome. And imagine what it must have been like, right? To meet the nation-crushing Messiah and have him tell you, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by all the most illustrious Jewish leaders and then be killed and after three days rise again. What? It's almost no wonder what came next. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus I'm not sure you understand. Um, Messiah is supposed to conquer the nations, not be killed at the hands of his own people. He rebuked him. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. That's a serious rebuke. Jesus didn't mean that Peter was Satan. He's speaking metaphorically here, but with top-level spiritual intensity. Here's why. Peter had rebuked Jesus, insisting that Jesus ought not to suffer, ought not to be rejected, and ought not to die at the hands of his own people. Jesus, you can't die. Messiah can't die. If you're going to be Messiah, you can never talk about suffering again. We who understand the importance of the cross, of Christ's death in the place of sinners, can begin to understand why Jesus was so emphatic in rebuking Peter. Peter didn't get it yet, but Jesus' suffering and death wasn't opposed to being the Messiah. It was central. Peter was bad-mouthing the central task for which Christ had come. Peter was rebuking the very purpose of God the Father in sending Jesus in the first place. One commentator hammers it home clearly. He says, By opposing the purposes of God and demanding Jesus avoid the cross, Peter had actually become a spokesman for the devil. As strange as it seemed to a generation fixated on Messiah conquering the world, Jesus' central purpose and fixed aim in coming into the world, was to die. Look again at verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and must be killed and after three days rise again. Christ's suffering and death were not optional extras in his redemptive work, nor were they accidental slips of fate. No, Jesus said, I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be killed. I must rise again. That's why he turned to his disciples in verse 53 and rebuked Peter. Peter, you have only in your mind the battle against the empires of man. You think that Messiah must conquer by the sword. 
Your human-oriented perspective doesn't even have the category to understand that Christ must conquer, not by killing, but by dying. Peter was still blind to a reality that can only be grasped by the wisdom of God. That the great victory of Christ would be won in his death on the cross and in his resurrection on the third day. Peter's spiritual sight was not clear enough to see what kind of Messiah Jesus had come to be. On the day of Peter's confession and his rebuke, Jesus began to teach the disciples what kind of Messiah he had come to be. That he'd come to suffer and die and then to be raised again on the third day. It's interesting to see that as we continue to read through the rest of the Gospels, we see that it took the disciples a very long time to fully understand this. It took a long time for the shadowy figure of Jesus and his death to come into full clarity. It took a long time for them to realize the beauty and the necessity of the crucified Christ. Three days after his death, Jesus appeared to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And even then, after having witnessed Christ's crucifixion, they still didn't understand why Jesus had to die. I'm going to read this passage at length. I read it from the pulpit before. It's, a, it's an amazing passage. I'm in Luke 24, if you want to flip there. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus pulls up alongside, and again, this theme of spiritual blindness, they they couldn't see him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to this, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We'd we'd really hoped that Jesus was the one, but then he went and died. We'd hoped that he would redeem Israel, but how could a crucified Christ do that? They still didn't get it. Skip down to verse 25 and Jesus' response. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? And enter into his glory. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. As the passage continues, eventually Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in the breaking of the bread when they sat down for dinner. Their spiritual eyes were finally opened and they came finally to understand. Look down at verse 32 of Luke 24. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? There on the road, He reminded these men again of the necessity of his death, and they finally began to understand. Their spiritual spiritual eyes were opened, and their hearts became receptive to see that Moses and the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament scripture, necessitated that Christ had to die. Messiah had to suffer. His victory was won through his death. took a while, but eventually the disciples did have their eyes opened to the crucified Christ. Jesus opened blind eyes to see the Messiah of the cross. And Jesus is still opening blind eyes to see the Messiah of the cross. From that day forward, God has not ceased to open blind eyes to the beauty of the cross. He's still doing it today. So here it is, the life-changing good news of Jesus. If you've heard it before, celebrate it with me. If you haven't, my prayer is that your eyes would be open to it. Here it is. Jesus had to die because he came not to crush the nations with an iron rod, but to save the nations on a wooden cross. Jesus came in his first coming not to punish the sins of the world, but to take upon himself the sins of the world in his death. The cross shows us just how far we've fallen. The death Christ died is the death we all deserve for our sins. Since our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell in the garden, we've wandered and strayed from God. We're all sinners. If Jesus had come with might to crush sinners like Peter had wanted him to, he would have had to crush everyone. All of us are guilty. All have fallen short. None of us can stand before a holy God by ourselves. But Jesus didn't come to crush sinners. He came to save them. He came as a friend to sinners. He came to save sinful, broken, lost people like us. Can you believe it, friends? Are your eyes open to Jesus? Jesus is still opening blind eyes to see the Messiah of the cross. And what a wonderful sight he is. How good is it to read Jesus' words here, knowing that they were spoken in love, knowing the cost, knowing that no one understood, but going ahead anyways out of love for lost sinners like us. The Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must be rejected. The Son of Man must be killed. The Son of Man must rise again. Looking forward to the cross, knowing the shame and the pain that he would experience, Jesus said, I must do it. 
talk about the heart of Jesus having compassion on people who come to him in need. I must do it. I must die and I must rise again so that many might live. And he did it. He bled and he died in love for the forgiveness of lost sinners. And he didn't stop there. In some ways, Jesus' description of what he must do to Peter here sounded less glorious than what Peter expected the Messiah should be. But if he'd really stopped to think about it, it's actually more glorious. The Son of Man must suffer, must be rejected, must be killed, and the Son of Man must rise again from the dead on the third day. And he made good on that promise. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day, defeating death and ushering in an age of resurrection power which will never end, ever. And those of us whose eyes have been opened to him see clearly how, how totally forgiven we are in him. We know how totally dead our sins are because of the cross. How totally alive Jesus is in us. How totally alive Jesus is actually making us because of his resurrection. He's renewing our spirits day by day, and one day when he returns, we'll receive the resurrection bodies he's promised, and we will be with him, the Lord of life, forever. The, like we sang earlier, the Lord our God will live with us and be our steadfast light, and we will ere his people be. All glory be to Christ. Open your eyes to Jesus. Don't miss him. Come to him. Plead with him today to open your spiritual eyes to see him for who he really is. If you've known him for 50 years, plead with him to open your eyes yet again just a little wider to see and to savor just a bit more of the wonderful Christ. Remember, spiritual sight is a miracle. Glorify him. Pr praise him because you've seen him. It, you can't take credit for it. And if you've never known him, if you've never seen him for who he is, plead with him to send his Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes to Jesus. Keep knocking, keep pleading. Knock down heaven's door until the Spirit falls and opens up your eyes. Open up your eyes to Jesus, the crucified Messiah. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. What a gift he is. He's the way and the truth and the life. And through him, we've come to know real life. You've opened up our eyes to see him, to see the power of his death for us to understand how totally forgiven we are in him and to understand the new life that you're giving us through his resurrection we thank you we praise you father all the glory belongs to you we were we were lost and dead in our sins and then you 
intervened in a glorious blaze of light and opened up our eyes to see Jesus, and we're so thankful. You're so good to us. Jesus, we thank you for your heart for sinners. Pray for any here who, who might not know you, that you'd open up their eyes. Lord, as we go from here, send us as ministers of reconciliation, messengers of this good news of Jesus, messengers of the cross. Give us hearts that are on fire for Jesus. That, like all of those people Jesus healed who wouldn't shut up afterwards, we would be healed and not shut up. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kevin's going to come and lead us in our final song. Before we sing our last song, just want to mention the uh, the uh, carpet and the flooring out back. If uh, after the service you'd like to go out and take a look at that, that'd be great. 342, let's stand and sing the first and last verses of Rock of Ages, amen, 342. Save from wrath and make me.